I got love for you, man. You know what, I'm <laughs> what are we talking about? You know, I'm not here to start any trouble. I'm only going to say nice things about you from now on. I think you're handsome, and I think you're a wonderful host. I'm fat and I'm overweight. Just don't say anything silly. I was waiting for you to say that. I'm not laughing about it. You think this is funny? I take this serious. You know, I don't want y'all to take anything that, out of context that I'm saying. He's very funny. He likes to joke around a lot. As a personality and as an entertainer, yes. This is going to be really quick. I'm not taking any questions. Go ahead and get comfortable. I'm going to talk for a little bit. You're listening to Cabby Presents, the podcast. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Thank you very much for uh, downloading and, and listening to what we do here on Cabby Presents. We got a football episode for you. Got some NFL. Got some CFL. I'm going to talk some Madden. Just a little bit, though. Madden was like... That game, Madden is that game that every armchair quarterback of any sort of skill level has played maybe, I'm going to say conservatively, seven to eight years of the game. Madden is out. And what is also out is the end of the summer. Oh, I'm crying. This is, this is tough. So hopefully this conversation can ease you a little bit leading into the fall. We have some Canadians on the podcast representing in both leagues, in the NFL and the CFL. And our first dude, who's played for the St. Louis Rams, the Washington Redskins, and now the Philadelphia Eagles, joins us on the phone. If it's going to be uh, an interview, I'm going to conduct it. So I'll answer my own questions, ask myself the questions, then give y'all the answers. And I'd like to welcome in the safety of the Philadelphia Eagles from Windsor, Ontario, a proud Nigerian and a proud Canadian, Oshimago Otagwe, also known as O.J. Otagwe. But for this, we'll go with the government name, Oshimago. Welcome to the show. Hey, how you guys doing? Fantastic, man! Fantastic. I don't know how. When was the last time you were up here? I was there right before training camp. Went to visit my family for a week, and I had a good time. You so that was when, when did training camp start exactly? Uh, training camp began like the twenty sixth. I was down there. I'd say July tenth. Oh, okay. So you the fifteenth. Uh, okay, so you didn't even. So you missed like. The uh, Carabana and all that. So you guys, but you guys had the the sports weekend in Windsor forever, right? Oh yeah, they've been doing that since I was a kid. So okay, so for the people that like, I'm I'm familiar with it, but I never made it to Windsor for sports weekend. What happens then? Uh, it's just a a weekend where they throw a lot of events, a lot of parties, a lot of different uh, just organizations just holding certain functions for people to just come out and enjoy. And they usually have some kind of sporting event or something going on. And it's I was a... young when they were doing that. Most of the times, I was just going to the party. <laughs> well, as you should. You're just a young man. You might as well just, uh, you know, soak up that part of the uh, experience. Right. So, um, in uh, so at the end of July, usually the first weekend in August. Uh, it's Caravan Weekend in Toronto, and every for the past three years, Drake has held uh, the OVO Festival. Are you familiar with it? Not really. Uh, I mean, I'm familiar with Carabana. 
I haven't been in probably 15 years, you know, since I, uh, probably since I went away for college. Okay. 13 years, because we've always had training camp or some kind of football during that time. So, okay, so I guess, well, I, w- I wanted to segue from Drake having this big uh, music festival, well, this one night in, on, the, on the Sunday in Toronto, to what Jay-Z is about to have in Philadelphia this upcoming weekend, his uh, Made in America music festival, which is two days. They expect 50,000 people every day. You know, it's headlined by Jay-Z on the Saturday and Pearl Jam on the Sunday Ron Howard's directing the documentary. Where will you be on Saturday or Sunday? Will you be trying to sneak out to catch a couple of these acts? No, I actually won't be. I'll be back in Virginia at my house, just uh, hopefully preparing for the season, resting. Uh, so how often do you get to, um, I guess, go to concerts or, or live live shows? I mean, Philadelphia, I, I know you just got there, is, is rich in its, uh, you know, its R&B history and that sort of thing. And then you have this giant, uh, this giant festival, which I guess you're going to miss out just so you can rest and stuff? Yeah, I'll, I'll miss out on it this coming weekend. But do do you um throughout the year? I guess throughout the off season, when you're either in, in Virginia, I guess is where you make your home. Do you um, attend any of these kind of any music festivals? Not really. Um, I don't listen to too many too much secular music these days. Um, I'll attend the gospel concert here and there, but I haven't been to one probably about two years. Okay, actually, my brother is a minister, and he was just in Houston in July for a big uh, conference. One of those where, like, the 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 main speaker, I mean, the main speaker, or the main events, like, they take place where the where this particular situation, where the Houston Rockets play basketball. I know those things are, are very huge. Have you found yourself in one of those? At one of those? Um, yeah, one year I went to the Essence Music Festival down in New Orleans. Oh yes, yes, yes. The Superdome. Yes, that that, that was, is uh, like a huge festival. Yeah, that's I, I know. Um, that's like a uh, yeah, very huge soul and R and B and gospel. Um, yeah. yeah, that yeah, that's a big one. That's a very big one. That's what that's in June or 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 May or June every year. Late June, early July. Uh, okay, so um, you're from you're from Windsor, and, and, uh, Ontario, and and like. And there aren't very many Canadians playing in the NFL. I think there was a. I think Philadelphia drafted a lineman. Actually, was that's a last year, I believe, who was a Canadian. But how did you know, as a kid, that your dream was attainable? Um, I, I guess as a kid, you're you're not uh, you're very naive and you're you're ignorant to the fact of what actually takes place in getting to the NFL. So anything that you you think of, you believe you can do because to that point in your life. You've always been able to do the things that you wanted to do. So, growing up, watching football on television, you just see, oh yeah, that's that looks cool, that looks fun. I love doing that. That's what I want to be when I grow up. And you just, you know, by God's grace, put your feet on the path to, to heading in that direction. Is there that because the the line from you know the from Canada to the NFL is. Not very many people, and congratulations, have done that. You know, our country's very small, but, you know, there aren't a lot of – you don't have very many predecessors. So you went from you went from Windsor to where exactly? I went from Windsor to Stanford University. 
Right. And do you find that, um, I, I don't know what it's like at training camp in the NFL or whatever, but do you find like you did more running in college than you did uh, in the NFL as far as practices go? Yeah, I would say so. Um, in college, you're still in that preparation phase where you're still being matured and you're definitely still developing as an athlete. So you're, you're definitely more raw than you are when you get to the league because by this point you, you're still raw and everybody can improve. But if you're at the professional level now, you've accomplished a lot. You've grown in your skills. You've grown in uh, your character. So that's not the focus. But in college, you're still developing who you will be as a person and as a player. So coaches definitely have to push you harder and uh, untap more of that hidden potential. So in a way, it's a relief getting to the pros because like, you don't have to run and do quite as many drills. I wouldn't say it's a relief. It, the focus just switches. Um, you're still just as uh, you don't. I wouldn't say you, you work just as hard, but different. It's not uh, as long and as uh, strenuous. But you, you're working in a different way because now you're working at a higher level, so it demands more of you. And your inner man, it demands more of you, and you got to commit more, and you got to be more accountable, and you got to be smarter. So it's on par with your work ethic, but it's just in a different areas. Now, um, I read uh, a story that you are uh, married to uh, uh, Jill Singletary, is your lovely wife, uh, Mike Singletary's daughter. Can you describe, like, the first time you walked into his home? Yeah, it was uh, a nerve-wracking experience. <laughs> yeah, to say the least, I can imagine. Um. But it was a it was a memorable one because what I expected definitely didn't occur. Uh, he met me with a firm handshake, but very soft, quiet spoken voice, and from there we had a wonderful conversation, and just really began the foundation of a wonderful relationship. Do you find that sometimes the anticipation is way worse than what happens in real life? Like you know, how, like do, did you find that you were like going through? you know, like imaginary conversations and like certain things that he might ask you, like you were just, you know, imagining all these different scenarios. Did you find yourself doing that? No, I didn't really go that far into it, but what what gets stuck in your head is just how he's been perceived on uh, in the media for right. so long, his uh, tenacious demeanor and approach to everything. So that's what you get. Um, you find yourself twirling with in your mind, just, okay, how's this going to play out? How's he going to be? But it's not really, I didn't have any uh, fantasy conversations or anything like that. I always find like when I'm in, uh, when I feel like I'm going to get in trouble, then all these things start cycling through my mind. You're probably a, a much better human than I am, morally and uh, the way you carry yourself. So I'm sure you don't really have these uh, things to worry about quite as uh Quite as often as as I do. So so you went in and every, you know he was he was um, uh, very very calm and and did did like did the did the head coach Mike Singletary ever come out like in conversation where he's very much the I don't know the the like a leader of men and and the dude that he imparts a lot of uh, a lot of anecdotes and and uh, stories on you. Yeah, I mean that's he's the same person whether he's at work or he's at home. Um, he's one man, and he's uh, he carries himself very uh, to a high degree of integrity. 
And so when you talk with him, he's very soft-spoken, but in a, a moment's notice or in a blink of an eye, he'll get very passionate about what he's talking about. And that's when you see the head coach inside of him come out. But it could be talking about vacuuming or it could be talking about <laughs> cleaning up the, the living room. But he, he just approaches everything with a passion and everything with a, a seriousness to get the point across because that's just who he is and that's the way he goes about doing his business. Now, you mentioned passion. Uh, the new Madden game uh, comes out this week. Uh, has there been I, – I, you you've, you've probably uh, grown out of your gaming uh, phase if you had one, but to some of the young guys, Madden is still like a huge – the new Madden game is always like a big deal and guys play in the locker room when they have some downtime or whatnot. Has there been uh, – ha- has – have you seen it in your locker room yet, and have guys been playing it? No, it just came out, I guess, this last night. I know a few guys have actually went and picked it up, but it hasn't uh, appeared in our players' lounge just yet, but I'm sure it'll be here in the next next few days. Now, over your career uh, playing in St. Louis and playing in Washington, um, have the Madden – like the Madden games or, or the tournaments or whatever, uh, in that player's lounge, has that is that like a big deal? Oh, yeah. It's a, whoever the best at Madden is is always a, it's a competition. And no it, matter where I've been, players <laughs> are serious about how well they are or how well they do in playing Madden. Now, have, have has that uh, trickled down to you? Are you, I guess in your younger days, were you a bigger Madden guy than perhaps now? I was when the game was a lot more, when it was simple. <laughs> like when now, it was on, like, Super Nintendo or Gen- yeah, or like the first PlayStation? Sega Genesis. Sega Genesis, or even the last Madden that I remember playing where I was very good was Madden 94. Wow. <laughs> 94, dude, that was so... 94. So wait, that was like Steve Young on the uh, the Niners. Yeah. Troy Aikman. That's the last time I played where I could say I was pretty good. Wait, wasn't uh, Barry Sanders was still on the Lions, right? Yeah. Was that that your de facto team because of the proximity between Windsor and and Detroit? Oh, yeah. I was a huge Barry Sanders fan, so I rode with the Lions. So that's... But, like, they never had a quarterback, though. And you got to feel bad for Barry. Like, all that time being, like, so, like, have this Hall of Fame career and just never had a quarterback. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely tough. They, uh, even without them having a quarterback, they made it to the playoffs for a number of years. Yeah, that's true. And that's hard to do nowadays if without a quarterback. So, they're still a good enough team to, to do that back then. Now, last, last year I saw these, uh, uh, ball so hard T-shirts. I think that, uh, uh, or like ball so hard university. I think Terrell Suggs was like the driving force of these T-shirts on the Baltimore Ravens. And I've just seen these always shady in Philadelphia T-shirts with Lashawn McCoy's face on them. Uh, are guys wearing them on the team, or is it just the one dude, Lashawn himself, that wears these always sunny in Philadelphia T-shirts? Yeah, I haven't seen uh, too many guys wearing them. You know, Shady's a man of his own, so <laughs> he's uh, he's big enough to pull it off by himself. So now, like, okay, so so Terrell had the Ball So Hard University uh, T-shirts, and I think I remember seeing uh, 
Flacco, Joe Flacco wearing one at a press conference. Now, it's, it's like, does the defensive core, do you guys have your own T-shirts? Or, like, the, the secondary, do you guys have your own, like, T-shirts that sort of band your unit together? No, we don't have anything like that just yet. Uh, maybe as we continue along in this preseason and going into regular season early on, that we might come together with something. But it has to be organic. Can't right. Be forced. Right, right, right. Something just to do it has to be something that means has some sort of meaning. So we'll see. I uh, you you mentioned something early in this conversation about not really listening to secular music that often. Now, when your team is uh, preparing itself mentally to go out to play, is there like a like a team iPod that's played, or does every guy sort of have his own headphones and just gets into a space in that regard, music wise? Yeah. We're a team that respects each other's space, so we we pretty much always have headphones on because you don't guys prepare for a game differently, and you wouldn't want to uh, inhibit somebody else getting ready or preparing for a game by what you were doing. So guys are really respectful in that. So what do you what do you use to get into that space that like you become a modern day gladiator? I do a lot of praying. So you, I pray do you, a lot you, before the game and. Listen to a lot of gospel music. Oh, okay. That's that's. I bet you know that's that's a different that's a different approach. I mean, that obviously that calms you and stuff and gets you gets you prepared. I'll get you out of here on this. I don't know how many movies you get to see uh, in the summertime or uh, you know in in the in the off season, but I just saw the Total Recall movie where you get to like a different you know set of memories and all that kind of stuff. If you were to go to the Total Recall facility. Obviously, it's not real, but if there was one, what site, what what set of memories would you want to be implanted? Uh, like a like a James Bond type, maybe you're like a Kanye West type. You're this huge performer. Maybe you're the president of the United States, or you're an engineer at Bridgestone, where you get to test drive like the the most amazing racing technology in the world. Or maybe you're like Derek Jeter. Maybe you're another athlete. What set What set of memories would you want implanted? That's a good question. I think I'd try to be someone like uh, Jason Bourne. <laughs> you know, these movies are really uh, interesting, so I'd be someone like Jason Bourne. Dude, I don't know, that'd be cool. You could basically like like Jimmy any lock with like a paper clip, basically with right. the and 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 take out anybody who steps to you <laughs> and like on a side of a mountain or on a train station or whatever. Um, well, listen, man, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. Uh, really appreciate it. Very proud that, you know, you're one of the few Canadians in the NFL, and we definitely watch you. Oshimago Otagwe, thank you very much for being on with us on uh, Cabby Presents. Uh, thank you for having me, Cabby. God bless you. From interviewing NFL football players in the past, I know that Madden is a massive deal inside those locker rooms and in those player lounges. Ray Lewis once told me that when he played the Madden game, he would play for push-ups. So at any time, I mean, if he is smashing in the Madden game and and you owe him push-ups, he would make you do those push-ups at any time and any place, regardless of where you were. So it's usually like increments of 10 push-ups. And you'd have to pay him back like money, like on the spot. So I can imagine... In Baltimore, he's made some rookies or made some guys do push-ups at charity events, 
you know, at the owner's house. It could be anywhere. But guys take that game very, very seriously because bragging rights, nothing to joke about. From one Canadian in the NFL to a Canadian that has flirted with the NFL, allow me to introduce to you one of my favorite running mates. And by running mates, I mean we've been out and he did well for himself a long, long time ago. Well, not too long ago, but long, 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 long enough. Really good dude who joins me on the phone right now. If it's going to be uh, an interview, I'm going to conduct it. So I'll answer my own questions, ask myself the questions, then give y'all the answers. And joining me on the phone is the poster child for tattoos, good looks, and anger management in the CFL. <laughs> Ricky Foley of the Toronto Argonne. Ricky! How you doing, dude? I'm doing good, man. What's up, Cabby? I'm good. Hey, so when, when you just, like, when you hit me up on Twitter and I responded, Ricky, it made me think of Boys in the Hood. Boys in the Hood, yeah. When did you, did you get to see that in the theater or did you see that on, on video, on VHS? No, I never saw it in the theater. I, uh, I saw it on VHS many times. I think I, I think I got it somewhere on VHS, yeah. Did you see, like, Boys in the Hood was a seminal movie for me because that's the first movie I cried in. I remember I, my cousin took, it, uh, took me to see it when I was 14, and that moment when, when, uh, when Cuba Gooding Jr. screams, Ricky, yeah. that, and then he gets shot. They just, like, it, it, was like, it was as though like, my dad punched me in the face. Like, it just, <laughs> the, the tears started dripping. Did you cry in that movie too? I'm not gonna say I did. Come on, man! Did you cry or not? I'm. I think I was just scared because I probably put myself in those shoes. Like, oh man, I don't want this to happen to me, man. I hit close to home with the Ricky part. So. <laughs> I remember Lawrence. I remember Lawrence Fishburne with that. Remember that song that they had? That really slow, slow song they had. And he was when they went out to get the guy who shot Ricky. Yes. He was, he was playing with the marbles. Yes. Was, yeah. I never forget that part. That was a, like a slow build, like a slow burn, and he's like, "Where's yeah. my son? Where's my yeah. yeah?" I think there was like that was like. You know, like the early '90s was sort of the end of the saxophone era. I remember in that in that soundtrack, there was like a lot of saxophone, yeah. <laughs> and it, it it seems like every '80s, like the the sound of the '80s was like the random saxophone solo that would just drop into a random song out of nowhere. Yes, I think um, I think Bruce Springsteen was here in Toronto last week, and yeah. a friend of mine lives in those condos down by the Rogers Center. And he said there was a time where he just heard saxophone. Like, that's how he knew that the 80s were back in the building with just that sax. Dude, I'm right across. Like, I can see half of the, my place, I can see from my balcony half of the sky dome. And I'm telling you, I heard, like, I didn't even know it was th that day. I saw fireworks go off. I opened up my balcony door, and it was just, yeah, I just, wow. I didn't realize what was going on. So, if, if about, about saxophone. <laughs> if, is there a, okay, is there a concert where if you were into Cougars, there's more Cougars than uh, a Bruce Springsteen concert. I'm trying to think of the artist from the 80s. Like, it's got to be one of those, like, like a Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi might be the top of the mountain. Yeah. Every single, I've never met a girl, no matter what race, that doesn't think that, uh, that Bon Jovi guy is, like, the sexiest man on earth, you know? <laughs> Just every single one. My sister, like, my little cousin, like, my mom, my grandmother, everyone loves that Bon Jovi Bon Jovi, man. Just, and, like, Bon Jovi never made, like, great music. Like, 
Bon Jovi has hits, like some huge hits. But the music, like Bon Jovi will never be placed in an echelon of like great rock and roll musicians. I mean, he's made millions upon millions of dollars because people love his concerts and love his shows. But I, I don't know. Yeah, Bon Jovi might be the be the dude where like where the you'll find the greatest collection of cougars in one place on planet Earth. Yeah, I went to U two. Ooh, that's a good one. Year. Yeah, but it was kind of a strange mix too, though. You know, like a like a yeah, like a, like a weird Eastern European kind of. Vibe too, so. <laughs> I don't know. A friend of mine was just speaking of Eastern European. A friend of mine was just telling me some stories. Um, he plays for the okay. Well, I might as well just say it. So, um, and he, he so my friend uh, Joel Ward plays for the Capitals, and we were, I was hanging out with him the other day, and he was just telling like he was just he told us a story about how he went out with Ovechkin um, at the beginning of the season, and he went to this one party where everybody at the party spoke Russian. So so here is a black dude. At a Russian party, and he's like, it was the most surreal experience in my life. Like everybody's speaking Russian, and there I am, just standing there, and I'm with Ovechkin. But I just felt like, I was like, oh, you feel like you normally do, being like the only black guy in a room ever. You <laughs> <And he> just <laughs> laughed, but 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 speaking of the Eastern, that made me think of that that story. Just he's like every every like every person that spoke Russian in the D.C. area was at this party. So sketchy. I hate. Yeah, I, you either got to embrace that feeling and just you know. Have fun because you sit there and look nervous, and they're gonna get nervous, and then you never really know. And, yeah, that's true. That's true. So wait, UK. Okay, so Ricky, you never said the movie that you were uh, that you've cried in. Any like, movie d- that I've cried in? Yeah, like okay, the first one that comes to mind, or the very first one you remember crying in. Man, um, I'm always I'm always got a soft spot for like the father son movies. Um, feel the dreams, man. Feel the dreams. I remember crying in. When remember, he uh, when when he says, "Dad, can we have a catch?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a that's a tough scene to watch. Like that's to be dry eyed. Yeah, I feel like women have like seventy five of those type of movies, and dudes, it's got it revolves either yeah father the father son relationship or some yeah. something to do with sports. Like it's not like you know the family dog died or you know yeah. it's 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 oh it's like yeah it's the father son or it's like some sports movie. Well, yeah. in my case, Ricky got shot, so that's neither yeah. <laughs> that's neither one, but that's a, that's a little bit different. Yeah, not the girl movies. I don't know, like uh, Notebook, like. Um, oh, you wait! You cried in the Notebook? No, I'm saying I, I didn't. That or Titanic. Those like the tear jerkers for the females. Oh, for sure, just, for sure. I don't. Yeah, I'm not crying over a relationship ending. I'm sorry. I'm just not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> Ricky, why don't you just write one of the Notebook, one of those type of books? Like right now, Fifty Shades of Grey is the biggest thing in the literary world. Like every girl is reading that trilogy, and it's it's a fun. Like every year, two years, there's a phenomenon in yeah. in literature where every girl is all over it. Whether it's like, you know, it's the it's the Harry Potter movies or books. And that, that's not specific to women, but there was like, uh, let me think, I guess, um, uh, oh, the, the, uh, the Hunger Games, The Secret, oh, The Hunger yeah. Games. There's another big one that I'm forgetting. And obviously, Fifty Shades of Grey is this, this, it's like this year's new trilogy. Has that, has that, um, that book made it onto your bookshelf or into the, the Toronto Argonauts dressing room, locker yeah, room? Uh, I don't want to sound dumb, but I really don't read. So it's just one of those things where... Wait, you don't read... Maybe you don't read books. Maybe you read, like, you read articles and magazines or, like, you read Twitter or the internet. 
I suppose. I don't know. I'm, I try to be outside and stuff. I'm kind of country, and I like to just go and do stuff. I mean, but you know what? I will say it would be a great idea if, like, you just got, like, a little synopsis or cool notes of all those, like, books that are popular at the time. You're trying to pick up a girl at the bar, and everybody else has, like, the usual lines, and you come out with, like, remember that quote from Shades of Grey in the second chapter? Uh, you're guaranteed you're picking that one up. Right, or if you just yeah. drop a line from the book, like, yeah. whatever the dude says, like, the... It's like I think it's like this twenty-five-year-old like billionaire that like ma- like gets these women to sign these contracts, and he can do anything sexually to. It actually sounds pretty gangster. Um, and then like he d- like and then the author just writes in like unbelievable like detail some of these acts. And I don't know, women just like launch into this fantasy world, and they just they just fall oh, wow. right into it. And I, you know, listen, your experiences. I'm sure you could write something similar. Uh, I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think of like, who's even listening to this, but yeah, whatever. I'm open, I'm open <laughs> it's a CFL, man. What are you going to do? Oh, man, that's Come so on. good. That's so good. Hey, so um, I was uh, on my way to up to the studio today. I was I was uh, reading on, on Twitter about, like, the world's greatest food fight. Now, this is food fight in Spain. And it's uh, this year was the 64th year, and they used tomatoes. Now Spain is kind of a is an interesting country in in that they have these like strange festivals. Yeah. Like I was in Pamplona, Spain, last month for the running of the bulls. Yeah, and I, I saw and that. I, I oh, thanks. That. Yeah, it was it was amazing. Like if you, I know you guys can't do it because of your contracts or whatever, but it's an amazing experience. Like I know that your your adrenaline obviously obviously gets pumping during games and you're in the heat of the battle and you guys are like modern day gladiators but the running of the bulls makes you feel like you are a victim and you are like (laughs) and the biggest predator ever is just going to stomp your brains out like the energy is what's that it makes you feel like you're ricky from boys from the hood you're about to get shot in the back absolutely because you don't know how close these beasts are and they move fast I mean, yeah. maybe, like you could probably keep up with them because you're a pro athlete, but not my fat ass. Like I was, I was scared. Man, I grew up on a farm, man. So like, I've had those experiences in the barnyard. Like, believe it or not, where you know there, you can feel all of a sudden one of them wants to charge you, and believe me, you're just running as fast as you can, trying to jump over the fence to get away from them. So I, I, yeah, it's scary as hell, man. Wait, like, you you grew up on a farm? You didn't know this? No, I didn't. Like oh, where? Man. Just, uh, you know where Oshawa is? Just east of that in, like, Curtis Bowenville area, man. Oh, wow, dude. So, you, yeah. wait, you guys had animals at your house, like, other than a family dog or a cat? Yeah, we had a, we had 200 acres, and uh, we, still have the, we still have the acreage. We just, we don't have the cows anymore. We had, like, 130 head of cattle. What? Uh, then we, yeah, then we switched to beef, so it was all, like, steers, and, you know, the horns, the whole nine yards, and then the mad cow disease. That, uh, that put my dad out of business, and that's why I'm playing football, man, because like, I wasn't going to be a farmer anymore. Wow, I I had no idea, dude. So Mad Cow wiped out like, your your family's had like the cattle. Yeah, like well, we because basically the prices all went down. We didn't lose any cows to the disease itself, but like oh. the prices of the beef was so low, we couldn't. You know, it wasn't profitable anymore, so we had to get out. Oh wow! So did yeah. you guys? So like, in when you're in high school, like, are were you waking up at like five o'clock in the morning to like go yeah. feed these cows and stuff? Exactly, exactly. And then I, but then I got kicked out at 17 because I didn't want to do that anymore. So then I got kicked out and, uh, yeah, was, yeah. 
That dude, that is that's that's crazy. Like not crazy, but that is just that's that's uh, a very unique upbringing. Like kids in high school, all we want to do is play video games. We don't even, we want to go to school to talk to the girls, play yeah. sports, and then yeah. and like play video games. Yeah, Did well, I you, just want to I just want to talk to girls and play sports. My dad just wanted me to uh, just play the cows. So I was yeah. Were you the only? Were you the only son? No, no, I had an older brother. He left the he left the farm, so it was just me and my dad. So we had to do all the work. Oh, that's got to be so. That's so much work. How do you, how are you even walking upright? Like all that shoveling and like like moving of like hay and you know do, you know cow whatever crap yeah, and everything. It's ridiculous. Like, and even so physically many. pushing the cows around, right? You did like to move them. How did you move yeah. them? Dude, they used, to, they used to get caught. They used to jump over top of this, like, a little stanchion we tied them up to. You literally had to put the cow on top of one of your shoulders and, like, like squat down and lift it back over top. I'm talking about, like, a 1,500-pound cow. You had to squat it back over top of the rail. I'm not kidding. That was just crazy farm stories, man, like guns and death and, you know, having to birth a baby calf from your 12 years old sticking your hand in a cow's vagina like it's, it's more come on quick. come you on quick, you grow quick man i'm telling you you grow up real quick tell that yeah. story wait you you at you physically <laughs> actually had to do that yeah man because uh you know it's not like baby like a human birth right like you have this huge calf inside of a cow and you got to go and get these two ropes tied around each one of their legs uh, the baby's leg inside the cow, so you got to put your hand inside the vagina, oh wrap it around, wrap the strings around the calf's feet, then wrap those strings around a big old, like a a massive size, basically rolling pin, and then grab both sides of the rolling pin, brace yourself, and just tug and just give her on that and pull the baby calf out, man. Yeah. Oh my goodness! Wait, so wait, the first time you did that, it was when you you were still you weren't even a teenager. Probably not. No, I was probably ten, probably ten or twelve. Yeah. Oh my God! So that like, uh, well, how long? Oh my! So wait, how long was this process? Like you, you like you, you go in there, you tie up, tie the the ropes around the the calf's legs. Like how long did this take? Like, and then you're pulling the calf out. What is this? Like 15 minutes, 30 minutes? How long does it take? Uh, once you get the strings on stuff, I mean, it's, it's pretty quick after that, man. You get, and if the calf, if the calf's standing up, you have to have somebody else to catch the calf on the way down, right? So it's uh, yeah, it's about a 15 minute process. So, oh my goodness. dude, so many farm stories. Like, or then if like you know the cows are back in the woods and they had the baby on their own, and you go back there and the, the cows trying to like hold off all the coyotes, and you got to pick up the baby calf and carry it home on top of your shoulders and keep the coyotes off you, man. It, it's farm life is crazy. Like it's just you can't put into words how crazy farm life is. Wait, did you? So when you were doing this, did you ever see any coyotes like around you as you're oh, trying? Yeah. Oh yeah, like oh yeah, like. I'm talking, yeah, all the time, all yeah, all the time. So, wow. So wait, did they did they ever like were they following you or did they ever like take a run at you? No, I, like I've never had any take an actual run at me, but they take a run at the cows though, and the cows have to you know have to kick them and stuff. But we go back there with a rifle or something, right? So, you know, once I got old enough to bring that back to the woods, to be you know, so it's no big deal. You, sh- you fire out the rifle once, and then they kind of scatter, so it's no big deal. But yeah, man, farm crazy just crazy ricky wait uk you said <laughs> wait a second i gotta unpack this because there's <laughs> there's so much in there at the beat you like you also said guns like i know you just mentioned rifles but yeah. before you said guns what does that mean just like you know just like there's raccoons there's groundhogs there's cows that um you know like they, they can't get up anymore you need to put them out of their misery that kind of stuff like you know did you yeah. have to did you ever do that oh yeah 
like a cow that you had to like kill because the cow is either old or it's sick or whatever. Yeah, exactly. That's what happens, right? Once, like a cow, once it's like uh, it's called splitting themselves. Basically, they tear their groin because both their feet slip on the pavement or something, and they tear both their groins, and they they can never get up again. They can't. So they you you try to nurse them back to health, but they'll never get back to health. So for two or three weeks, just sitting there, and then they can't get up, and they. They're just in, you know, in pain and misery, so you got to put them out of their misery. So there's only one way to do it, right? So. Oh yeah. my gosh, dude! Oh, yeah. weren't you afraid? I mean, if, I guess at first, but the thing is, when I look back at it now, like yeah, I go back to the farm, I look at the woods, I'm like, what, what was I doing going back there as a little kid, right? But when you're growing up, like you don't know any better, right? So it's just like, ah, eh, cow's vagina, whatever. You're like, eh, coyote. <laughs> You know, like, you just don't get it at the time, right? So, so what? okay, what's the worst accident that happened? Like, what's the worst, like, injury you sustained while on the farm? Uh, me, personally, I got kind of lucky. I remember one time I uh, had to get a bunch of stitches in my knee. I cracked my shin bone, uh, just, just jumped and slipped and fell. And I got this, um, the loader tractor, you know, like the, the scoop on the end of the tractor? I yeah. I shin, shin right into it, and I screwed up my knee a little bit. I had to get knee surgery a little bit later after that just to scrape scrape off the desk. It wasn't that bad, though. My dad and brother, though, between the two of them, they probably lost, like, shoot, or got chopped off, like, three fingers. You know what I mean? Had to get wow. Back wow. They yeah. had fingers sewed back on? Yeah. Did the fingers yeah. work? Uh, my dad's, no. Nah, well, they, they're, they're on, but I don't know how good they work. My dad's hands are jacked up. Like, he was just twisting all kinds of different directions. I don't know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's like I think what was it? Is it uh Tori Holt or Michael Strahan that have a finger that can like Oh the pinky, yeah. Th- yeah, that can bend like the other way. Yeah, I don't I don't know, but yeah. My dad's hands are just jacked up cuz you they, you try to unplug stuff when it gets stuck, right? And then it's just they stick their hand in it thinking they can unplug it and then it's like the PTO shaft, right? So then all of a sudden, as soon as the thing starts getting gets unplugged, your hand's still in there and it gets chopped up, right? So. Oh my gosh, dude! So wait, yeah. so so when you were like when you were growing up on a farm, how did you get to school? Like, was there a school bus that came, or did you have to like ride your bike? No, there was a school bus. There was when I was going to public school. But then I transferred uh, from high school. I tried going and playing football and doing track because it was a school strike at my school in high school. So um, I had to ride my bike, maybe like. Uh, well, if I because the bus only came once an hour, so if I didn't make that, then I had to ride all the way to Oshawa, and um, and then catch a ride with my friend with the Oshawa public transit system. So yeah, I was riding my bike every day when I was going to high school, either like uh, shoot maybe half an hour or like you know five minutes. So yeah, man. Wait, what um, what events in track and field did you do? Um, well, I did I did a bunch of different events in high school, and then right in my last year, I just. I was, you know, I was a pretty good sprinter, pretty good jumper, pretty good like uh, thrower. And then um, I would never win though. Like when I went up to like the higher levels, like offense stuff, I would yeah. never be able to win gold. So um, my distance coach actually Dwyer was like, "Man, why don't you just try the decathlon?" So I said, "Sure." I learned how to do a few of the events, and then um, that I'd never done before in my life, like four or five of them. And then I went to provincials, got bronze, and then really, you went to offense and got bronze. And that, well, they didn't have the decathlon also. It was like it was like national, it was like provincial championships, like uh, the, like mixed events championships. So yeah, went ahead and got bronze. And I wish I had kept going with it, man. It would have been nice to see where I could have gone. So. That's amazing. So for those listening that don't don't know what OFSA means, <laughs> OFSA is uh, the Ontario Federation of Secondary Schools Athletic Association, something like that. Or, yeah, uh, yeah, something like that. So yeah. it's it, it's an acronym for the. Uh, uh, province of Ontario championship. So it's, it's the same for every other province or state. If yeah. you're li- listening in the in the U.S., 
Wow. So, wow. It's a Catholic. That's, that's impressive, man. All around, an all around great athlete. I appreciate that. I mean, I was, like, I, it was kind of raw, though. I just, you know, I kind of started everything late because, like I said, there's a lot of work on the farm. So I could never really get off and, like, play high school football or anything like that. I never played football until I was 19, walking out of York. So, wow. I wish I had started a little earlier, but I mean, I am where I am now, and I'm, I'm happy for that. I'm thankful for that, you know? Weren't um, track meets like the best place to, I mean, other than the mall, the track meet was like the best place to meet girls? Because most of the girls are fit and like, a big thing yeah. for, for us in high school is meeting. Like, when you met a girl from another high school, she was, like, instantly yeah. hotter than the girls at your high school because she was, like, a little more foreign, only be, by virtue of going to another high school. Yeah. And you look, at, you look now, and it's just like the high schools are within, like, you know, a five-minute drive. But if you didn't have your license, shoot, that, she might as well live in, like, the other side of the country. I know it's like, <laughs> me and, uh, me and Tim, Tim and Sid were talking, man, the other day, yeah. and we were uh, talking about the track meets and stuff, man. Do you remember the track tents? Do you remember the tents of the track meets? How, like, you know, it would be a cold day or whatever, a sunny day, and every school would always bring the, a few tents. And, like, you know, if your event was at 11 o'clock in the morning, and you would have another one until, like, 4 or 5, well, shoot, you know, well. No, we we never. No, I never. We never had the tents. I should ask my friend, my friend Nigel, and Ni- Nigel was a dude who, um, one of one of the first track meets where I was. I was a fat kid. I still am a fat kid, so I just did the throwing events. I did the, like the javelin and the shot put, all the fat guy stuff. And and uh, and Nigel's one of the sprinters. So I remember this one track meet. We were in like Hamilton or. Somewhere or like maybe we're in Burlington or something and Nigel like met a girl and Nigel he him and this girl were just doing laps as they were like flirting and and then every time he passed like our section of the stands, he would just look up and you know, give that nod and then we'd yeah. be like, Oh yeah. <laughs> he would get so much props from the rest of us just watching him go to work. Man, the the number one thing, like I don't care if you won you know, you won your race or whatever and stuff like that, that was cool and everything and you know, whatever, you get your respect for that. But if you could get into the tent when I, maybe my track team, my school was perverted. I don't know, but if we could get in the tent with one of the girls, you know. The oh, girls, that's amazing. That that yeah. sounds like that sounds better than actually having sex. Like it's like it's like almost forbidden, and you're like, yeah. and you're with like a girl from another school, and you're doing something that yeah, like forbid that you shouldn't be doing, and and it's in broad daylight. That's yeah, amazing. You're, like, you're 13, 14, so I mean, you can just. Yeah, you can dry hump, and you—it's like having an orgy when you're married. Absolutely, absolutely, like it. Yeah. So okay, so so this uh, this uh, food fight in Spain, um, it um, so yeah, it ju- it just happened, and um, and they have like forty thousand people show up. I think it's the same amount that end up in Pamplona, and they have a hundred tons of tomatoes. Did you ever when you were in high school or university, do you ever do you ever get into like a big ass food fight? Yeah, when I when I was in uh when I went to Curtis High School, uh, it was more of like a country school. The kids were a little bit more wild and stuff cuz I transferred to Catholic, but uh yeah, I remember we had some pretty good food fights, you know, the jocks and like then the you know, the goth. That was when goth was really big, you know? Like so it was always like the goth guys versus the jock guys and stuff and I remember one food fight and um Someone threw uh, threw an apple, but it hit this it hit this girl, and she was like one of the student uh, council vice presidents, right? And so she was really popular in the school and stuff. But she was a bigger girl. I, I want to say her name, but I can't remember. I can't remember exactly her name. Just she was a really big girl, and then but she was really cool, and everybody kind of like you know respected her stuff and like a good girl. 
and I guess someone threw threw an apple the wrong way, and it hit it right in the head. And it was just like one of those moments where the entire cafeteria just goes quiet, right? Like it's just like, <laughs> oh, it's that. <laughs> yeah. She gets up, and then, oh, man, she just came up to our section because it's one of us who threw it. Wasn't me. I swear it wasn't me. And uh, she just came up there. She's like, oh, man. She just let everybody have it. The teachers being a step in because they were just so scared of her, man. She, oh, it, was, it was terrible. Yeah. I had, um, when I was in grade 10, we I I start I I was one, I was the dude that tried to start food fights. So I remember trying to start food fights with the grade nine table, which was I don't know four or five tables away from ours. And I, I remember I you know I throw like you know like raisins and nuts, little things at first, yeah. and then one day I threw like an apple core, and then like some some food came back. I was like, oh, it's on, it's starting. <laughs> then I grabbed this dude's like. C plus can and I and the, and it was like probably it was like a quarter of it left, but I threw it and it hit a girl in the face. That's what I'm saying. That moment where it's like, oh. oh, I know. And then like at this table, so she was in grade eleven. At this table were these eleventh graders, and this one guy turned and looked at me, and I had already been like antagonizing, you know, the table behind them like a week before. So anyway, he looked me dead in the eyes. I was like, oh shoot. Now, fast forward 15 minutes later, I'm in the gym playing basketball, and the dude comes up to me. He's like, hey, did you throw that pop can at that girl? I'm like, yeah. All of a sudden, I was wearing like a hooded shirt. All of a sudden, the hood comes over my shirt, and it's a hockey dude. Oh, he got a jersey. So he's throwing these punches. And all I'm thinking is, I can't. if I fight back, I'm going to get suspended. And I'm a dude that, unfortunately, every year of high school, I got suspended. Nine through OAC, or grade 13 as as we had in, in Ontario at the time. Yeah. So this guy is hauling off on me, and I'm blocking these punches until the very last one. I'm in sort of a crouched position. Boom, he comes in the uppercut. Bam! Oh. Just like just gets me right in the eye. I fall, and then I'm like, oh, man. And then, like, the worst thing for me is, I, I don't know what, what it was like for you. You, probably, you may have had a similar dad. But the, the reason I was never, like, a wayward kid is because the punishment at home was worse than at school or with the police because my dad ruled the house with fear. Yeah. So I was like, oh, man, I got I got beat up. My dad is going to think I'm like a wuss and like I'm getting in so much trouble. And that's all I could think of. And then so when my dad saw me later, he was like, what happened to your eye? I'm like, oh, it's basketball. I missed the pass. Because you, like you look like you got punched. I'm like, no, no, no. I, was, uh, I wasn't looking at the pass. I got hit with the basketball. He's like, mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. oh, he's seeing right through this. Like, there's no, this guy's seeing right through this lie, and he's just judging me, and he thinks I'm the biggest, like, wuss ever. Yeah, no, I had to, I had to farm dad, man. So, I mean, I think nothing could happen in school that could compare to my dad. I mean, we got licks upon licks. Like, we got, when I got big enough, I mean, we were talking about fist fights in the front yard, man. It was ugly. Like, so I definitely know where you're coming from, man. I remember, uh, true story, you can confirm with my mom. I remember dad would always joke me, my first day of school ever, I'm, I'm like four years old, right? Like going to like junior kindergarten or whatever. And my dad's joking around saying, make sure you get the first punch in, make sure you get the first punch in. No word of a lie, a grade three kid pushed me into this like uh, wooden jungle thing, gym we had at Curtis West. And there was like a nail or some crap sticking out back then, whatever, and it scraped me or something. I went and punched the kid in the face. They called home. I had to leave school early on my first day of school ever because I beat up a grade three. I wow. Wow. What a yeah. chump that, that that kid in grade three who was like, like eight and you're four, like twice, literally twice your age and probably like one and a half times bigger than you. 
I don't know. I was a big kid. That's the thing, though. I think I was a big kid. But, like, I'm not sure if I even heard him. You know, I don't I don't remember that part of the story. But I know he just came out and just punched me in the face. And, like, maybe it didn't even hurt him, you know. But the teachers, yeah, that was enough. I got sent home the first day of school. <laughs> <laughs> you know what, the, you know what the, the, the scary thing is, is, like, you're a professional athlete, and you are very, very strong, Ricky. But then, like, when you become, like, a dad, you have that grown man strength that which you can't really account for. Like, like it's like that grown man strength is like three times the strength of like a normal adult. Like I don't, I don't know where it comes from, but it just like every dad has that grown man strength. I want to be so politically incorrect right now and say, uh, <laughs> say handicap strength, because man, that's the same thing, man. You just you can't account for it, man. You're like stupid strong. Like I know uh, growing up, like you know, my dad would always beat me up and stuff, and then like once I got to be his size, I had to fight back. It was just like, but there was that, that stretch there. I knew it's bigger than him, stronger than him, but then, like, once it gets you in that grip, right? Yes, like, yes. Oh, like, you don't work out. Why are you this strong? I right? know, I know. Did you ever, like, I don't know if you got you had this, but I had, I had like, two younger brothers, and there was one day that we tried to play, like, wrestle my dad just once in our lives. <laughs> and, like, I'm on his back, around his shoulders. One, uh, Omari's on his legs. Justin is, like, trying to, like, you know, my dad's got him gripped with gri- – he's got both of his arms in his one hand, like, left-hand grip. And then yeah. we're trying to take him down, and it's, like, impossible. And I think I was, like, 14, maybe 15. Like, I was, you know, had some had some decent strength as a high schooler. But yeah. dad, he just was just throwing us around. Like, it was impossible. It's that pride, too. It's just, like, you know, I cannot let my, you know, my, my rule in this household be taken from me right now. Yeah, yes, because then, I mean? the, yeah, then it's like the inmates will be running the asylum. It's like someone might beat me up outside, like say someone might beat me up on the street, but if you come to my house where I live and my family and my mom and dad are watching me, I swear I would beat up Mike Tyson in his prime. <laughs> you're, not, you're not beating me up on my own front yard. It just won't happen. Yeah. Just, I, I can't accept that. Yeah. Yeah. You, and you couldn't, you, you couldn't live down like the embarrassment, like it's having your dad just like, just like not approve of you just like that was like I, I feel like it's most dudes we are always we're always seeking our dad's approval yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and if you get beat up like the time i got beat up at school and i just saw the look on my dad's face i was like yeah. oh man like this dude is not this dude doesn't love me anymore he's just like i just see it in his face just so disappointed and my dad, uh, he never came to any of my sporting events my entire life. And, uh, like, not a single one. Nothing at all. Nothing. And uh, I went to York my first year. And uh, I think he, you know, I, I've been kicked out or whatever. I was on my own. You know, he came to my second my second year at York because he just saw that a couple of the games got televised the year before and on the score or whatever for um for OUA stuff, yeah. Yeah. So then um, he came the next year. The season opener was against Mac. And I'm like, oh, my God, my dad's my first thing ever. I can't believe it. I was just so hype. And we went out and, you know, we, I went to York. So we were down like 40 to nothing at half time. <laughs> getting our heads just kicked in, right? And I'm just like, damn, it's the first thing my dad's ever came to. I'm walking into the locker room, right, at the end of the first half for halftime. I look up and see my dad, and he starts shaking his head, like that disapproving, shaking his oh, head. Oh, right? no. Dude, I get in the locker room, and the coach is talking. I'm bawling like a little three-year-old girl, man. I, I mean, I'm bawling. Like, my dad's never going to come to anything again. He just, he's, you know, I proved him right. You know, I'm never going to be doing anything. I'm never going to be able to blah, blah, blah. And I'm just blowing my eyes out, right? Come back in the second half, we play, whatever. At the end of the game, my father comes up to me, like, first hug of my entire life. Like, I never got one. Mind. He comes up, he gives me a hug. Yeah. And, like, just a nod kind of thing. Like, and that was it. And that was kind of like everything in that moment was forgiven. 
And my mom explained later, like, he was just shaking his head, not disapproving, but just like, you know, I should have always been here for you type of thing, right? You know, so. Wow, that's that a great was, moment, uh, man. That's a great moment. Yeah, but that disapproving look that I thought I was getting, oh, it just crushed me. Oh, that, that yeah, that, that right? is a tough one. That is absolute tough one. Uh, hey, so how did you go from York University to, didn't you try out with the Baltimore Ravens? Yeah, man, that's a crazy story. Like, uh, so I'd only played, like, well, I didn't play my first year. I only played one playoff game or whatever, and just on special teams. Then the second year I came back, started the end. Uh, just a couple guys left and um, played eight games that year, eight games my my second year, um, technically my third year at York. And um, one of my guys on my team, Sam Opala, he had gone down to Florida to Miami and done this like kind of free agent kind of camp for like seniors who, who don't get invited to the real NFL combine in Indianapolis. And uh, he told me about that. I knew I, was gonna, I wanted to go to the NFL, you know, after my senior year. So I just lied. I went online. I filled up the application for this uh, this um, combine thing and said I was a senior from Canada. I'm like, they're not going to check up on it. Who cares, right? Just pay my 150 of the fee and go down there. So I went out to Baltimore and I just I ran really fast and I did really well. And um, uh, they, then the Ravens called me up and they said, "Shoot, you want we want to bring you down to Baltimore and give you a look." And I, you know, I said, "Well, I got a year left." And they said, "Well, we'll remember you. You know, whatever." Sure enough, on draft day, you know, they called me right after the draft was over, and they said, we'd like to sign you as a priority free agent. I said, well, shoot, let's go. And, uh, like, a week later, I was on a was on a flight down to Baltimore. So it was pretty crazy. So tell, okay, so tell that experience. So, like, you're on the plane, you land in Baltimore, or you land somewhere in that tri-state area, D.C., Virginia, yeah. wherever, um, yeah. Maryland. And then what? So you land, you, you the plane touches down, and then what? Cabby, it was like putting my hand inside a cow's vagina for the first time. I really, didn't know, <laughs> I really didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know any better, right? Because, I mean, I played 20 games of football at the CIS level. I mean, I, we had like three or four blitzes my entire career there, you know. So I get down there, and the first day of install is probably 30 plays. I have no idea what's going on. And uh, I just really had no idea what was going on. I didn't know football at that point, you know. But uh, it was it was cool as hell. I was similar between 12 subs and uh, Ray Lewis every day and linebacker meetings. and Wait, 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 um, wait, sit, wait. So wait, you were sitting in between Ray Lewis and Terrell Suggs? Yeah, that was my seat. They put me in between those two guys. So that was... So you're there with um, a bit, you're there with a big binder with installations with these plays and formations yeah. and what, and to one side it's Ray Lewis, the other side it's it's uh, Terrell Suggs. Yeah, and like Terrell Suggs wasn't even like Terrell Suggs yet though, you know? Like he wasn't even like balling like he was, you know, like he is now, right? This is 2006, I guess, so... Uh, but yeah, man, really, everybody's like cool, you know, super cool down there. And, um, you know, I wish I had known what I was doing, but I didn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, it was, it was experience of a lifetime, man. Like, uh, I went to a few parties with those guys and stuff and, um, you know, it was just, it was the time of my life, right? It was great. So wait, okay. So when, when you were in the, the classroom or whatever, uh, or the meeting room was Rayla, was, was he chewing sunflower seeds? Apparently that's his thing. In order for him not to fall asleep, you have to be chewing on something, whether it's gum or sunflower seeds, and that keeps your mind active and your your body active, so you don't fall asleep. It does. Like I, I know it does. I can't remember if he was or not, but uh, maybe that maybe he hadn't started that yet. Maybe you know. But uh, yeah, it does definitely keep you awake. I can't remember if he did. I remember he's always chewing out of. I feel like he was chewing a lot of uh, the tobacco a lot. Oh, okay. Okay. Sunflower seeds. Yeah. So did he? Did he ever like quiet talk? He was like Ricky. What you need to understand. Come to my circle. No. Uh, the, one, the, one conversation, the one conversation I remember having with him other than football is we were eating lunch, and uh, 
um, we were just talking about Caravana, man, in Toronto. And he, he said he had been up there for it. And, it was, you know, it was, we just talked about the city and how awesome Toronto is and, uh, you know, the girls and stuff and how crazy that is. So, um, yeah, he's a real cool dude, man. I mean, just that's mostly what the most conversation I had with him outside of football was about Caravana. So I guess that's, I guess that's universal for a lot of people. Now, what, like, so how long were you there for? Like, did you get there on, like, a Sunday and boom, camp? You're in camp on a Monday? No, I got there, um... Yeah, we started it was the off season, so we started mini camps and OTAs and stuff like that. I never even made it to the main training camp. Um, just too raw. I didn't know what I was doing, and um, you know, I basically said I should go back to CFL and go work and play football, right? Because I was just gonna be practice roster or something here, but way too raw. So um, I went back up to CFL. So that was uh, I was there probably like four or five months. You were in Baltimore uh, for four or five months. Yeah, the off season, but the off season right before the main camp, so. Um, every day, pretty much, in there doing the Baltimore thing. So, well, like, did yeah, they man. did did they pay for you to live somewhere, oh, or yeah. did you? Oh yeah, they put you up. They put you up. They take care of everything. You don't pay for nothing. You you get paid for the work day on the off season. You did take care of pretty good. So, um, wow. Yeah. So that was okay. So that's that's like oh six and and yeah. uh, what? Kate, okay, give us a, a, one of the stories of of you partying with Ray Lewis. You said you went out like once or twice <laughs> with these dudes. Yeah, there uh, went a few times and was just kind of keeping it low key and stuff. Because Baltimore isn't exactly the the best neighborhood, you know. You got you got to be careful what parts of Baltimore you're hanging out in, right? And yeah. Some of the guys like hanging out in some of the you know uh, more more rougher areas and stuff. And uh, but no, Ray Lewis always has a whiteout party every year. And uh, I don't know if you ever heard about it or not. I'm no, not, not I've heard of Puffy's and and I recently with my friends we usually we recently threw a white party, but I've never heard of Ray Ray's white parties. Yeah. I don't know if he's doing them anymore. Maybe, you know, maybe he's married now or something. He's slowed down, but uh, he had a white out party, and it was it was pretty crazy for me to go to that. It was, um, man, I had so many celebrities and people we see on TV, and I'm like a country boy just coming out of college at York, and um, I remember meeting Megan Good and getting a little hug and a kiss on the cheek from Megan Good. And, <laughs> and she's so hot. She's so little. Oh, yeah? Well, you're yeah. like 6'3", like 240, so you're not exactly like a regular human being. Yeah. So, but no, it was uh, it was cool, man. It was just like, yeah, it was unbelievable. Like, it was just, uh, yeah, man. I don't. So know. wait, Ricky, was this the first time you've been around this many black people? <laughs> no, man. I grew up in Toronto. I grew up in Toronto. <laughs> Dude, you grew up with Curtis. Curtis is you and 130 cows, and your your pops, and your and your brother, and and moms. Yeah, but I was uh, I was I was fast and I was tall, so I played basketball <laughs> and track. So that's that's the but that's, okay. But now you're in Maryland, like you're at a party, like a Ray Lewis party. Like I, I yeah. can't imagine there are a lot of dudes that look like you there that had like a fair skin there. Dude, I had the first <laughs> the first time I was stretching in the Atlanta line. I just got there in my second day, and I'm sitting there in the stretching line. I'm right behind Suggs, and uh, you know I've got my tats. I got my tats, whatever, and I had cornrows at the time. Okay. <laughs> and, it's, and it's the middle. It's the middle of summer, so I, I got a little. I got a tan. I'm pretty dark right now. He turns out, damn, cuz, when'd you get out? And, I, <laughs> and the funny thing was, I didn't say too much. I was pretty quiet and stuff, right? So I wasn't really talking too much. And like, I'll be hanging out with these guys, and I swear to God, it was probably like the third or fourth week I was down there, and they say, "What? You, wait a second, you're not mixed." I'm like, "No, I'm just a white guy from you know." For a farm, and so it was, yeah, it was crazy. I don't know, it was, I don't know, a little different down there. So, 
That's yeah. awesome. That is that's a <laughs> damn cuz when you get out. Yeah. Isn't that like it's so funny that that's the reaction. <laughs> like well, you they, got t- they don't and I and I kind of use your advantage, right? I'm like, "All right, well, if that's what they want to think, think that, you know what I mean?" So, um but yeah, growing up in Toronto, man, that's even though it was a Curtis, it's just kind of like I could really hardly ever get off the farm to do anything and it was it was um, I was kind of a shy kid, so um That's I find I could, that hard to believe that you're a shy kid. I mean, a farm kid I was, so I got kicked out and started acting crazy. But the time, it was like, <laughs> you know, the only way I could fit in, you know, was basically, you know, I could, I could, I could hoop pretty good and I could run fast. So, you know, you're playing basketball, running track, you, you can imagine who most of your friends are going to be your first friends, right? So, <laughs> yeah. How fast could you run, dude? You said like you said at the uh, that uh, that uh, combine, not the one in Indianapolis, but the one in Florida. You ran pretty fast. Like, how fast did you run? I didn't do the one in Florida. My friend did the one in Florida and uh, told me about the one in Baltimore. I ran like uh fast I ever ran like it was a uh, four three nine at York and it was like I was like two forty five, but down in Baltimore. Wait a second, down. you ran a four three nine? At York, yeah. Like in our in our off season like training. That's, that's amazing dude, that's amazing. That's like faster than like Marshall Falk. Uh, yeah. I'm, like Mar- Marshall was pretty fast, but I don't think he was that I don't think he had four four speed. Like that's like you're talking uh, like cornerback like receiver speed. Yeah, the only, dude, that's the only reason I'm playing football. Because, like, even when I didn't know what the hell I was doing, I could run fast, right? So, oh, my God. Um, dude, I ran you're... For, both, for Baltimore, I ran, like, four, I ran for like a 4.48, I think, for Baltimore down there. So, that, I mean, that's like I said, that's the only reason I am playing football is because I could run fast. And then I learned, uh, you know, the simplest position to put me at was the end, right? Because you just had to, you know, run around the guy type of thing, right? So, right. No, I'm not, it's, I'm not, I'm not. You know, some guy who's been playing football their life and is so talented at football and, uh, you know, this and that. I mean, I've, I've studied a lot. I've learned a lot. But, man, i just been real blessed and, you know, could run fast. And, yeah, man. Speaking of uh, DNs, uh, I'm, I'm pr- pretty sure you heard this story about, um, uh, oh, my gosh, Warren Sapp having to sell, like, 250 pairs of his Jordans because he's call, uh, come under some uh, financial. Uh, You're joking. No, dude. The, I think he decla- he had to declare bankruptcy. Damn. So like um so so he so some of his assets are two hundred and fifty pairs of Jordans, and I don't even think most of those were even worn. I think those are just wow. in the box. What is the um? Wow. I mean, that's that's an offensive amount of sneakers. What is the? So okay, as far as Jordan goes, do you have a favorite pair of Jordans? And then what is the most like number of sneakers you've owned at one time? Do you think? Um. I'm kind of I'm kind of bad for shoes, man. I, I got quite a bit. Um, I think just because I, I could never afford Jordans when everybody else had them, you know. So I was always the kid who tried to find a nice pair of Nikes in the Salvation Army and try to play it off like they were. <laughs> like I remember, we had Jordan like original Jordan threes. My mom brought them home, and this I was probably like uh, shoot, maybe 15, 16. And my mom brought home the Salvation Army these pair of like Jordan threes, beat up, right? But then they were like size like 13. I'm like a size 10 or something, right? And it's like, you know, I'm I'm trying to fit in these things and wear them to school and stuff. It was just terrible. But um, I like the threes. I like the 11s. Um, I've only got probably four pairs of Jordans, you know, but that's good enough for me. So Yeah, the threes and the 11s are absolutely the, – those are my favorite. The threes, I like the fours, but the ele- the, the 11s, I think, are like the, the most beautiful yeah. pair, the most beautiful sneaker. Like the Jordan 11s are just beautiful. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, okay, so, so, uh, you mentioned, okay, so we spoke briefly about, uh, Ray Lewis's, uh, whiteout party. I'm in my kitchen three days ago and my dude 
is in town from Calgary and his and his girls in town as well. And we're just talking and and uh, we're talking about you know men and women and you know uh, and I guess we get into this conversation where she says about her boyfriend, oh Dave and I, we I, I we agree on what we think is hot. And I said that's impossible. I'm like men and women do not agree on what's hot. Like there's like. Like, women always see other women as, like, beautiful, but guys, we see women as either cute yeah. or hot. Like, sometimes we'll, we'll throw beautiful out there, but not in the same way that women do. Because women, like, girls that we think are, like, not even cute. A girl might be like, oh, she's so beautiful. Like, yeah. well, where do you see this beautiful? Because I don't see the beautiful in the face or yeah. in the body. So I don't... So I, like... So... so I said to her, I'm like, Lindsay, like, I, I, I would bet, I'd be willing to bet money that if I listed 50 women that you guys might agree on, like, eight. And if it was you and I, we would agree on three. I don't know if you ever had one of these conversations with girls before, but why do you think that it is that men and women can't, like, our, our perspectives on what is hot are different yeah, I because I think guys are trying to sleep with the girls. So it's like <laughs> the girls are just trying to like the natural beauty type of aspect, right? Because man, let's let's be realistic. Like me and my girl, we do a pretty good job on agreeing on stuff. But then you just see that girl who like, okay, I know she's really not beautiful. Like I know what beautiful is, right? I know you you know you take your makeup off and you look like you still look gorgeous, right? Right, right. But you know what guys see. Like, you just see that girl wearing the right outfit, having the, <laughs> having the right body, and the lights in her a certain way, and it's like, eh, I know that makeup's covering up a lot of imperfections. Right, but like, yeah. I just want to, you know what I mean? I'm yes, like, oh. yes. And then the girl's going to be like, oh, she, she, she's ugly, she's a slut. I'm like, yeah, 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 and well. that's the weird thing, is like, sometimes you'll, you'll hear a girl say, oh, Megan Fox isn't hot. Like, are you crazy? She's Megan Fox is though. amazing. That's a perfect example where I've, you're right because girls would be like, "Oh, she's not beautiful." Like, yeah, they, she she wears too much makeup. Like I don't care. It's like she's the, on she's on eleven. There's the guys. The guys is like she's hot. The guys are like guys are like okay. She's yeah. like eh, or she's sexy. You know what I mean? You can see a beautiful girl and be like she doesn't have any sex appeal. You know what I mean? Like she's not turning me on. She's beautiful, great. But like it's just like you're not doing it for me. Like Megan right. Fox has that sexiness to her, you know. And there are also some women that have a sexiness that aren't necessarily hot, but there's like something about her that's like, ooh, like maybe it's her hair, or th- maybe the way that she like has a certain look, the way she looks at you, like, oh, that girl is sexy. Like yeah, body language. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah. So like, we okay, go have ahead. You the, have you ever seen the hot girl who like you see her have to run? And it's just like <laughs> you go from being like a dime to being like, uh, like yeah, that she she's so she's so dope. Like um, that you like, I, I sometimes I will I say I, I'll give it to her. So like I'll look at a girl and I'll give <laughs> yeah. the double take and I will be like I will obviously be staring at her and I'll say like listen I'm gonna she's so dope I'm gonna give it to her I'm gonna I'm not even gonna try to be coy about trying to look at her or stare at her I'm gonna yeah. be like bold face like <laughs> look her dead in the eyes like and just like I might even like mouth the words like mouth the words like wow or you <laughs> yeah. are dope like I've done that before just like a wow like I'll yeah. give that if you're that bad you're gonna get it from me like I'll give I have no problems giving a woman some props when she's that when she's that dope yeah, like I'll, I'll give the damn. I'll give the. I'll give the second look. Like, oh, oh damn. Like, okay. Like, <laughs> I, you know, my, I like. Oh, I shouldn't even give it away though. Damn, some other guys might steal it. But I give a congratulations. That's what I do. I just, 
congratulations. You say that to them for real? Yeah, that's my thing. Congratulations. Amazing. That's amazing. Yeah. My friend Dempsey has this double take, which it, it doubles me over in laughter every time he does it. <laughs> like this really obvious double take, but he does it intentionally. And then like women, like they smile, like you always get a good reaction because yeah. he just, it's just so good. But congratulations is fantastic. I might actually use that a couple of times okay. as okay. we have a few more days of summer, summer left. Um, you would know use it. I could see you using it properly too, because it's not like you can be like you can't be that. Because we're both big guys, so it's like you can't act all like hard and thug and stuff. Yeah, you know, maybe, yeah. maybe in the states you can, but like you can't up here in Canada. It's like you got to be kind of you can't be standoffish, right? So I know you use it the right way. Get a little laugh out of it. Oh yeah, do it, Cavi, do it. <laughs> <laughs> And that's that's my my whole game is personality. So I don't mind oh, yeah. I don't mind telling a woman if she's if yeah. she's beautiful. Um, Ricky, that's a great way to punctuate this conversation. I really appreciate that little bit of game that you just gave me. <laughs> I'm gonna make I'm gonna make sure I don't overuse it because that's like you yeah. don't want you don't want uh, when you have a nice little 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 tool you don't want to play it too much. You don't want to use it too much. So uh, so thank well, you for I'm, that. I'm kind of out of the game temporarily, you know. So <laughs> Fair I'm enough. I listen. I well listen. It's. Sometimes it's just—it's not like you're trying to sleep with the woman. You're just literally congratulating her for being for looking as good as she does. Exactly. exactly. So you know, then your your lady has to respect that. Yeah, I'm just gonna make sure she. Yeah, we're okay. Change topic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, listen. I know that uh, you're halfway through the CFL season, and you guys have uh, you guys haven't been making it easy for yourselves over there at the Rogers Center. So let's change that up. All right. Good, man. So you guys, uh, I mean, I know there's additional pressure for you for you dudes because the 100th Grey Cup will be held in Toronto in November. And if you guys hosted the game, that would be pretty tremendous for this city. So do what you got to do to get there, man. I appreciate it, Cavi. Oshimago Atagwe, a.k.a. OJ Atagwe, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for sharing your stories. I can't imagine what that must be like to see Mike Singletary across the dinner table from you. And, like, I know you're in most situations, you probably get a lot of knowledge because he's one of those gentlemen that's like to, likes to share his thoughts and his experiences and his knowledge imparting on to the next generation. But then you're married to his daughter. So, if anything happens, anything in the world, those big brown eyes. We'll come looking for you. So obviously I wish the best for Ashimago Otagwe and Jill Singletary, his lovely bride. Thank you for your thoughts. And to Ricky Foley. This dude could tell a story. One of my new favorite interviews, Ricky Foley of the Toronto Argonauts. If you want to follow either dude on Twitter for Oshimago Otagwe, a.k.a. OJ Otagwe, it is at IamBlessed21. I-A-M-B-L-E-S-S-E-D-21 on Twitter. And for Ricky Foley, who's a very, very funny guy, it's Foley for real. Like Kevin Hart for real. F-O-L-E-Y, the number four, real. R-E-A-L, at Foley for real to follow Ricky Foley from the Toronto Argonauts on Twitter. I'm Cabby Richards. Thank you very much for listening Hope you guys enjoyed the last hour, and now, I'm gone. 
Thank you for listening to Cabbie Presents, the podcast.